I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, your source for Pac-12 gambling device with William Hills and Max Meyer in the home of the Bader Inc. College Football Statistical Model. Mr. Rab Bowron, thank you for joining us another week and another uh, another seven days pass without live sports, but that's okay. We are building up for the college football season and really had a lot of news come in this last week. We have an HBO documentary that features the scheme with Christian Dawkins and uh, has some verbiage from Sean Miller that we'll go through. Uh, Oregon gets richer yet again. And we're going to go through the offensive coordinators as we wrap up the podcast and, and rank those as we've been going through all the skill positions. And I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Max Meyer. What's going on, Max? Uh, not much. Just uh, playing a lot of Scrabble here in, uh, in quarantine Brooklyn. And, yeah, just living it day by day. What's been your highest word score, like in one word? Uh, I got a 90-pointer today, which was fun. Nice. That's awesome. Um. I, I'll never forget. I played the first time I played Scrabble, and my my mom, who like we're like very straight laced family, and she she spelled panties, and it was, it was like seared into my brain, for, like forever. In any case, moving on. I'm also with Mr. Rob Bauer. What's going on, Rob? <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty well. Did a lot of uh, a lot of yard work this weekend. Yeah, it's it's gotten warm here. I live in the Portland area, and everybody is outside and has the same idea. Everybody has a drill in their hand, and you can hear pounding of nails and you know all that stuff. So um, it's nice to see though, like the community kind of get out of the house and finally like be able to wave <laughs> across the street to each other. Um, so that's pretty nice. And um, again, hope everybody is staying safe, and hope that this can be a good distraction from what's going on. If you do like the podcast, you can subscribe for free on any podcast catcher. You can follow us on Twitter at 12 pack radio and by the way if you're an arizona fan at wildcat radio we're doing a live uh, uh watching party of the 2010 arizona like uh, ncaa run and so that's tomorrow at eight o'clock and you can follow us at wildcat radio az um, and we have some other things planned on this podcast to keep everybody in the loop and entertain and if you really do like the show, please leave a review. That's the best thing you can do about this uh, show as we um, continue to build a following and appreciate you listening in the off season. With that said, let's talk about Oregon because, Max, the rich just continue to get richer. And uh, a big grad transfer moving from Boston College to Oregon to add some more depth to that quarterback uh, field, which is already fairly strong. Yeah, so Oregon uh, picked up Anthony Brown. And he's a dual threat, though his his running his rushing numbers are are I guess relatively pedestrian, but he's still a threat with his legs. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's really interesting 
um, that they got Brown this late in the game because I think that could send a potential message out that are they comfortable with Tyler Sharp as their week one starter? Because I feel like added competition and, and having that type of experience with Brown uh, is definitely an interesting uh, mix to add to the fold. Yeah, and one of the things was Cristobal has gone out of his way to compliment Shuck. I think one of the things we had Hithliday on the podcast uh, probably a couple months ago. We should bring him on again. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about was the, the head-scratching decisions sometimes that came from their quarterback this this past year and how Shuck could fit into a system because um, – because the system is pretty strong and the personnel is there to really manage an offense. But Rob, to bring on another grad transfer, that that doesn't always mean that there's a lack of confidence in somebody. But man, if I'm QB1 and waiting and another grad transfer comes in, I got to be looking behind my back, which oftentimes is a good thing when you're in a, in a sport that's incredibly competitive. It's true. And I, I, you almost never have enough quarterbacks these days um, that you can rely on. I, I, I'd be a little surprised if he was, I mean, he may, he may come in and, and, and beat out Chuck, but um, I like, you know, I look at his numbers and he's, he was an interesting grad transfer on the market, but Boston college, I mean, I think the highest they ranked an effective pass and beta rank was 86. Um, and he never cracked 60%, you know, on his completion rate. Um, Brown didn't. So he's, I mean, I, he's, he, he is a solid fallback. Let's put it that way. I think I think I I would still put my money on Shook, but um, Brown choosing to go to Oregon, he definitely feels. I mean, the he I don't think he would go there as a grad transfer without the promise that the the job was at least open and he could compete for it. So um, I'm sure he's yeah, I'm sure he's itching to get. Uh, I'm sure he's still in Boston, and I'm sure he's just itching to get to Eugene. <laughs> and again has a really good coaching staff under them he has a, a ton of talent to be able to work with so it'll just be interesting and it's uh again if if you're a Pac-12 team that looks at Oregon you go like oh my god they got another person like I, I tend to be like hooray because some of those players can transfer to Pac-12 teams now like so if you have a couple of those quarterbacks that um were highly touted that don't crack you know the starting rotation or one or two um keep a lookout to see where they end up transferring. It's nice to be able to keep that talent in the conference and on the West coast. And for the most part the Pac-12 has done a really good job recruiting at the quarterback spot. So uh, just something to keep an eye out for. And well, and I was like one other thing, I mean, just like, just because he's the shiny new toy, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to get playing time because this, our last off season, uh, Gage Cabrude uh, was the hot grad yeah. transfer that came over to Washington state and Anthony Gordon, uh, beat him in, in uh, starting competition and Gordon shined and, and Gabru didn't even play a single snap. So I, I just, I think having Brown in the room is a positive. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I just think added competition is always a plus, but yeah, just interesting all around in my opinion. Yeah. It's always good to have the stacks and stacks of players to be able to use. Um, taking a look here at, um, Taking a look at Brown's numbers here, uh, like you mentioned, Rob, 59% completion rate. Now, he only played six games last year, so an opportunity for him to be able to prove himself. He threw for 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns, two interceptions, so um, was making pretty good decisions on that front. And then, like, coming at, at, at to some extent, a dual-threat quarterback, you know, 33 rushes for 128 yards and two touchdowns on that front. But I always tend to look when a player is hurt. Obviously, you want to go back and see what they were able to do the previous year. And in 2018... 
almost like, oh my gosh, I was in 2008. Time is an illusion in this last like in the <laughs> last couple months. Uh, but in 2018, uh, threw for 55.4% completion rate, which is pretty brutal. Uh, 2,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, nine interceptions. So again, good decision making on that front, and ran for about 85 yards. So um, was certainly again uh, some some numbers there. And uh, Boston College was not the offensive juggernaut <laughs> in the last, oh, I don't know, decade. Uh, but again, some more bodies there at Oregon and uh, more competition for the Ducks moving into 2020. Um, Max, where do you want to go next? Is there any other transfers or anything that, like, I've been trying to keep a lookout. The problem is with all the news that's been coming in, it's been harder to keep a track, like, even from the 12-pack radio account um, of like tr- transfers that have come in and like situations that are happening. I, I did notice that, um, UCLA's, uh, key offensive lineman ended up transferring to Oklahoma. So he'll be playing with, I think it's Theo Howard. That's two UCLA players there. Um, anything else uh, on the personnel standpoint that we should keep a lookout for? Not really. I mean, us, well, basketball wise, USC had five commits in like the past week. That's crazy. Um, and a lot of them were good too, right? Like, I mean, it's not like, yeah. you know, the infield has never been a slouch yeah. at recruiting. No, uh, it's the end game where, where he's had issues, but recruiting has never been a problem at all. But I just, <laughs> I just couldn't believe that he picked up. It was like one every day. It was, it was crazy, but yeah, nothing, nothing too big for football. I think. Well, that's a pretty good transition anyway, t- into the scheme. So HBO, uh, dropped this ba- basically a two hour documentary that followed Look, it was from Christian Dawkins' perspective. I mean, like, let's call a spade a spade. Um, But, you know, some interesting information there. I think the headline, the juicy thing that came out uh, before the documentary aired was that there was the actual um, audio of a Sean Miller call and also a Will Way call with uh, Christian Dawkins. And, um, Rob, let let me throw this to you first because we've, on Wildcat Radio spent a tremendous amount of time breaking down what the NCAA scandal could have, uh, the impact that it could have on Arizona, seeing how Arizona was uh, one of the prime problem uh, makers there in terms of uh, the the pay-to-play schemes or alleged pay-to-play schemes. But also, Max, I I know USC was on that list, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on the impact that it might have on the Trojans. But Rob, um, for the mo- most of our listeners, I'm assuming they didn't listen too much to Wildcat Radio and how we were breaking down that. So um, do you want to give like a quick overview of where we are now and, and some of the high points and then we can get into the documentary? I mean, the, the quick overview is that the government um, at this point has finished all of the first first stage trials and there are all of these are now on appeal. Um, Christian Dawkins uh, is appealing his results. Um the I believe the two Adidas guys are also Merle Code, um, but it was basically that they had they had flipped um, a guy that was pretty shady around fi- like had done some financing around football recruiting and and uh, also did, but they got him for you know uh, some basic violations of like SEC regulations um, and he basically said like hey like I also know some things about basketball recruiting. And that led them to Christian Dawkins. Um, and the Dawkins was sort of their in on um, in, you know, in getting to help down, bring down Adidas. They got some cooperation from uh, one recruit's dad uh, in particular. They got, as you mentioned, TJ Gasanola, um, who was sort of an Adidas fixer, um, to also uh, turn uh, evidence there. But they didn't really dive in 
terribly uh, deep. And I, I had, you know, and I, I guess if you were going to say like the, the takeaway out of this from this, I mean, I guess we should also say like the main schools listed were Louisville. Rick Pitino got fired. Um, he's now coaching again. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> At Iona. Um Kansas, I mean, Kansas, because uh, there were actually texts between TJ Gasanola and Bill Self, then North Carolina State, um, and then Arizona. And then, there are a variety of other schools um, that were mentioned along in uh, that, but then there were well, there was Alex, a separate L- one. LSU, LSU oh, yeah, LSU too. too. Yeah. And then there was a separate one, though, that um, involved the assistant coaches, and that's Oklahoma State. Um, USC, Arizona, and Auburn uh, all had assistant coaches that were indicted. Uh, but what's interesting in all of those assistant coach one uh, cases, um, and something that I sort of found odd from the get-go, is none of the coaches were offered uh, cooperation deals. Um, so normally, like if you're uh, pulling, like you, if you sort of have your eye on like bringing someone down, right? Like you just sort of pull threads. Uh, in a case, uh, and you, I mean, you've all seen Law and Order or whatnot. Like you offer someone a plea deal, um, that plea deal, you know, significantly reduces their charges and you know potential prison time uh, in return for their cooperation. But n- they didn't even ask for the cooperation of any of the assistant coaches, um, and the assistant coaches really could have turned over on just about anybody. Um, they also didn't uh, offer Merle Code a, a plea deal. Um, on cooperation and Merle Code not only worked at Adidas, but he had previously worked at Nike Grassroots Basketball. And um, you know, people around the sport basically said that Merle Code knew where all the bodies were buried. It was a little odd to me because people would go around and say things like, uh, you know, the FBI is like, you know, they've like if you haven't been charged, you've basically been cleared because they did this incredibly thorough investigation. And I just kind of thought like this doesn't seem like that um and my main takeaway from the scheme um was that it wasn't i mean they basically had this one little line that they took in to get christian dawkins and get some folks at adidas and some assistant coaches and they called it a day um and they you know cut bait i mean like i think a lot of people took that initial um kind of over-the-top press conference that the southern district of new york uh, the federal prosecutor threw basically saying like college coaches we've got your playbook and then, you know, the, some people took that at face value. I think the more has come out, the more evident that that was not the case. Now, that's not to say that there's a lot of things that we know, um, you know, are, are were probably on tape. They have lots of tape of people, you know, Christian Dawkins talking to Sean Miller, talking to Book Richardson, talking to the other assistant coaches. Um, but most of the stuff in the trials is centered around Will Wade or Sean Miller, even though there are, you know, there's likely still going to be trouble for USC. Um, NC State has already gotten their notice of allegations. Um, LSU will likely get a notice of allegations. Um, yeah, so there's, um, there's, there are things that even if they were not illegal are likely against NCAA rules. Um, and that's what is sort of interesting about what they played because I guess if that's the – because if you're the defense, you are given access to all the evidence that the government has. Um, you know that they're that they uh, that's part of discovery, um, and it gives the defense a, a chance to actually you know mount a defense and not just like have the government constantly doing surprises. So it was a little. I, I thought it was a little surprising that that's what Christian Dawkins like. That might have been the best that he had, I guess you could say, because like it it wasn't that much. Like it it's definitely talking about paying players, but 
you can make an art like you can easily just make an argument that it's no it's not (laughs) (laughs) and i know that a lot of people have the knives out for arizona and there are a number of reasons for that and to lay a foundation for this conversation like rob and i are (laughs) are are with you (laughs) and i'm not in regards to the knives out for arizona but like if you're not an arizona fan we we on wildcat radio have gotten significant pushback just by saying like here's what happened and here's what likely is the case and um and i think arizona fans have been incredibly defensive about uh sean miller and the arizona program and um, so as we go through this conversation, this is not a Homer situation on our end. Like there are hours of tape. You know, you mentioned Rob that there was recordings of Sean Miller and Christian Dawkins, but really the 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 biggest I think issues are twofold for Arizona and Max will bring you in on USC. But for Arizona, uh, issue number one is that it was Book Richardson that was on tape the most, and he's talking specifically about paying players and how much they've given and the one giant asterisks to put here is that oftentimes in these conversations it's a lot of bluster and like you know and you even see this in the case where like um christian dawkins is being pushed by fbi investigators to give money to somebody and he's like like that was the one thing i kind of got from it too where he's like man this doesn't make any sense but i'll take the money (laughs) and so like he would lie in order to get the money and the person he's getting it from is lying. like the conversation that that featured sean miller on the scheme was uh literally a a recruit uh, it's Sean Miller basically saying that uh, the recruiter, I think it was Nas Reed, was lying to LSU and to the public saying that he might go to Arizona because he wasn't getting enough money from LSU. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's just all like everybody's lying to everybody. But at some point, like a number of payers were, well, players were paid. And uh, when you see uh, people that were associated with John Deere Aiden getting like legitimately getting money from Kansas, even though he didn't get to Kansas, like, you know, people don't pay players uh, for free, you know, just for fun. (laughs) Like there was a market out there for DeAndre Aiden. But the biggest issue here is for Arizona is is Book Richardson, who is Sean Miller's assistant, dating all the way back to to Xavier. They they have been together hand in glove for a very long time. And it's just really damning conversations over and over and over and over again about paying players. Now, the transactions themselves haven't been unveiled. So Arizona fans are kind of grasping onto the fact that, oh, like the NCAA already investigated this. And, um, you know, what people say on the phone is different from what happens in reality. And until you can show me the evidence that Sean Miller physically paid somebody and gave money, then we're standing by Sean Miller. The second portion of this that's really important for Arizona is the fact that um, that doesn't matter as much to the NCAA as it does to the FBI and federal investigators. The threshold of evidence is significantly lower, and the NCAA basically has some free reign here to do a lot against Arizona, and that that um, cloud hangs over Arizona. And then when you um, yeah, Arizona fans are basically saying, well, like, you know, a lot of these like a lot of these phone calls were already um, you know, we've we've already heard these. Well, we didn't like they first. First of all, the the phone call between Sean Miller and uh, Christian Dawkins was not heard before. And second of all, we've seen the transcripts of this. But when you hear the actual voice of Sean Miller talking about um, basically um, whether or not they were on the same level as Miami, when uh, when trying to get a recruit um, in regards to their handlers wanting something, it does make a difference. 
Um, one more caveat on that front, though, is uh, Nasir Little was the the conversation that Sean Miller was having um, with Christian Dawkins. And they were basically talking about uh, how Little's handlers wanted money. But it actually came out that Little's family did not want any money at all. And it was the handlers that were lying to the coaches. <laughs> like So, again, a lot of lying going on. Um, but still, when there's so much smoke and you have coaches, Max, on, on wiretaps when they didn't think anybody was listening, um, talking, I just got to assume that if you're Arizona or USC or LSU, like, there are there are consequences that are going to come from the NCAA because the body of evidence is significantly lower, uh, a lower threshold in order to get um, some sort of violation. I'm curious if where you stand on on whether or not USC is in trouble or Arizona is going to be in trouble with the NCAA. No, I mean, I I think that there's going to be punishment. Um, I just think that the the FBI, like they definitely uh, made this whole thing overblown. Like and and you could tell from the documentary uh, itself. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there, 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 I mean, there, there has to be some level of punishment, but I the problem with it is that everyone cheats in college basketball. So I, I feel like in order for the NCAA to really get a message across, they're going to have to come up with some type of damning punishment, but I don't even, I don't know if, if, if they're, what they're going to do. It's just honestly with, with the NCAA's experience with USC in the past, it's it, it's it's been rough for USC, but yeah, I I just I just think that collegiate athletics, uh, with at least with how the NCAA deals with things, it's just it's it's way it's it's a mess. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, again, like cannot stress this enough: the evidence needed by the FBI and federal investigators were significantly higher than the evidence needed by the NCAA. And if you're Arizona, or you're USC, or you are Kansas, like they rob the NCAA can go as far as they really want because there is a very easy scenario where you say lack of institutional control and by the way we're going to make an example out, out of you or they could say or they, they can just basically say all right guys like two scholarships gone per year so i mean like so we don't like like max said we don't know but something is coming uh, and i don't think if yeah. you're the NCAA and you see all these coaches that are i mean you got to remember um college basketball is significantly different from college football where you have a lot of skin in the game from coaches from smaller programs that have been grinding it out and they have to put up with the schools that have more money and um, are shady around the edges. And it's, it would be really hard for the NCAA to go super light on schools like Kansas and Arizona when all these other coaches throw their hands up in the air and say like, well, like there's, you know, it's the moral hazard idea, right? Like you got, you got at some point, make sure that there are consequences for what you do. I mean, I guess it sounds a lot like college. I mean, in a way, I mean, the main difference between college football and basketball, right. Is that like in college football, it's, it's truly booster money and not shoe money. And none of it goes through, almost none of it goes directly through the coaching staff. Um, at least directly in the same way, like a political campaign will get money from like a 501 C three. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, or like they have a wish list. Um, I, I like the, what's interesting is that basically, I mean, other than, you know, Rick Pitino who had some fairly damning, you know, evidence, you know, actually in the, um, the indictments were issued. I mean, he wasn't indicted, but you know, he was the person clearly on one of the phone calls, you know, speaking speaking into words an ncaa violation um 
everybody else is basically just holding the fort. You know, like Kansas has, you know, standing by Bill Self. Will Wade is still employed. Andy Enfield is still employed. Sean Miller still has a job. I mean, you know, Bruce Pearl is still the coach at Auburn. Um, everybody's just kind of hanging out uh, and waiting. I mean, and, and standing by their coaches with the expectation, I think, that the NCAA can't drop maybe you can't drop that big of a hammer or maybe they want to see what the NCAA comes out with um, on it. I mean, I, I, it's not that I don't think that like, yes, maybe the NCAA does drop, they try to drop the hammer on Arizona and Kansas. And, you know, I mean, Ellis, I mean, where the, where the, despite all the fire around Sean Miller, most of that fire is from that ESPN report that no one has confirmed. Um, like the, the worst information out there is what on Phil self and will Wade. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Kansas had to classify as part of their appeal last year, um, to get a player eligible. Um, they had to, they had to agree to classify TJ Gasanola as a booster. <laughs> well, like the NCAA came around, like it, it was very funny. I, I, it was sweet, sweet poetic justice. Cause like they classified Gasanola as a booster and then and the NCAA turner, turns around and goes, surprise, you have a booster that was paying money. Like, you guys are, are in violation yeah. of NCAA rules. Like, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, and in doing that, like, they're basically, like, they're making the case fit the NCAA rule book, right? Like, yeah. by classifying Gasanola as a booster, like, that fits a bunch of rules that the NCAA has about boosters. Um, you know, it is tougher for, you know, like, the uh, – you know, but there's and we talked about like the Rebel Rags case, the the Ole Miss violations. Like, I mean, it all came from one recruit basically saying he got a bunch of like he got a bunch of free Ole Miss gear from a place called Rebel Rags. And Rebel Rags, the guy that owned it, unsurprisingly, donated a bunch of money to the athletic department and was a booster. Um, but that that guy that I mean, he was, he ended up playing at Mississippi state and then turning in old Miss. I mean, there wasn't like a, like, there wasn't like a ton of, ton of like really solid evidence beyond this one guy's word and some t-shirts, um, you know, for, for this, like, I mean, there was some other stuff that went down in old Miss too, but that was the, the most of the case. And for this, like the NCAA is not going to need, you know, a ton to go on here. But it, it will. I think it will be interesting to see because I mean, like Will, like the fact that Will Wade still has a job is the one that amazes me. I mean, he's <laughs> his he he is on he is on tape in some very incriminating ways. Um, the one that was played in court, um, the one that they played, you know, in the scheme. I mean, Will Wade is. Um, you know, in theory, like in in any different environment, like if he was the only one, you know, that they thought they had, um, you know, they could have, um, they certainly could have just like they they Will Wade would be fired, right? Like if if this was just something that had turned up, but because it's sort of like caught up in all of this, and there's sort of all these moving parts. Um, but the one thing that I mean, we didn't talk about a lot back then, because then, like, I mean, it's a year ago that these cases went to trial. Um, which feels like forever, uh, is the Michael Avenetti case. And I, I'm not sure what's happening with that one, but because the NCAA basically never pulled on all of the strings that they uncovered that they could have, um, Avenetti has, I, I think has some legitimate, like, and 
I'm not I am not speaking on behalf of Michael Avenetti as a person. He is a terrible, terrible, terrible person. <laughs> we always have to like preface that. Like, all right, everybody, like we realize how like let me let me go for five minutes but, how awful of a person he is. But, <laughs> Whenever I swear to God, like whenever somebody, whenever somebody in one of these things is like, "Yeah, you're gonna take the word of a convicted criminal," I'm like, they're talking about illegal stuff. Like, who did you expect to show up? Like, who do you think the star witness would be? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you're 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 at court. Like, who did you expect would be there? But Avenetti, I, I think he's got some legitimately good stuff on Nike. Um, because he had, he was representing, uh, an AAU coach that got cut off from Nike. Um, and he basically got a bunch of really good information out of this coach and decided to go try to shake down Nike for it. Yeah. Wait, wait, um, let me, let me cut you off on that. Cause, cause I think it's important who the coach was. So it was the coach of California Supreme who is, I mean, California Supreme, if you go on their website and look at the, the alumni that have gone through that program, I mean, yeah. in, in like the schools, so it's Arizona, USC, uh, San Diego State. I mean, like it is just a laundry list of schools that they have sent players to. And they were getting shoe money from from Nike because they were sponsored by Nike. And that is how they're able to get that money to players and handlers and all that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, like you mentioned, Rob, they get cut off by... Uh, by Nike, he gets mad and goes to Avenatti of all people, and it was him, and it was the actually the lawyer for Colin Kaepernick of all people. Like it's just the most bizarre yeah. situation. It's so freaking crazy. Um, but he, I mean, so he's Avenatti's out there. Like the stuff that he has dangled that he has, and he can't really just go out saying it without getting you know a serious slap on the wrist from a judge. Um, you know, and he may decide to try to cash in on it later, uh, the information that he's sitting on. But I mean, it is it's not just like a lot of these guys ended up going to West Coast programs, but they were recruited nationally because these were all four and five star players. Um, and he's got stuff that involves Andre Ayton. He's got stuff that involves I mean, he's got basically like almost like the account, the stuff that people say, like, where's the receipts? Like this guy has like actual like actual like money wire. <laughs> receipts that were wired to this you know this aau coach who then like drew out the money and took it in some duffel bags to some parents um you know like that kind of stuff if, like there it's this isn't quite over because the fbi never really dug in that no never really dug in that deep on, on a lot of this stuff um, and they never really, and they didn't really pursue Nike hardly at all comparatively. Um, you know, most of the schools that got in trouble with the, you know, aside of Arizona and USC and some of the assistant coach stuff, like the schools that are in trouble for the Christian Dawkins, like our Adidas schools for the most part. Um, it is like, there, like, this isn't over. There's more that could come out in appeal. There is more that could come out. I mean, just from the tapes that, Christian Dawkins may not have gotten his hands on a discovery that could be sitting in an FBI evidence locker that somebody could just decide to hand off to somebody at some point. Um, there's just a lot, there's a lot to this. Like most, I, I, I can't be alone in saying this. Like we have only seen a small window of the story um, here. And I guess like when people go all like tee off on Arizona and Kansas, I'm like, do you think that Arizona was the only, like, like, like if you're if you're a Washington fan, like do you think that Lorenzo Romar was like not paying all those five star recruits that he landed? Like of course he was. Like get over yourself. Like yeah. if, if you think if you think if you think Dana Altman's not paying recruits, like 
Like, but I also like, I mean, I just assume everybody's paying. Like everybody is paying. Like even if you're paying less money for your four-star kids to come play, you know, like you're still paying. Like those those kids still get those those kids still get some money. Like there's a market out there. And I think one of the things we realized was that in this and, and Book Richardson, I mean, the fact that all of these assistants were so eager to go make some extra money on the side is because I mean, all the schools have shoe companies behind them. Um, and it's, they're only going to get really big shoe money if it's, you know, they're competing against, you know, and it's like, if you're a Nike school and you're competing against Adidas on a, on a for a prospect, like then it's really going to be Adidas and Nike going after each other. But if it's two Nike schools competing, like you may have to come up with your own booster money. And it seemed like, and from what Book Richardson was talking about, Book Richardson was paying a lot of these kids out of his own pocket. Um, well, he claims that that's yeah, what he well, claims on the phone, but uh, no, I, mean, I don't. But like, I mean, him. like, yes. However, his own behavior, because he was so like, a, the thing that confirms this to me is like when offered a little money in front of him, all of these assistants were like, "Heck yes!" Like Christian Dawkins, you're a guy <laughs> I trust. Let's go into business. Or <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean, that just like that just. I'm sorry, but that screams a little bit that like, yeah, these guys likely are under some financial duress because they are having to, to top off. And that makes sense from the way you would expect the market to work. Like if Arizona and Duke are competing for a prospect um, and that prospect is, you know, wants money on the side from it, then Arizona and Duke, like you can't go to Nike. They're both Nike schools. Like they, they got to come up with something on their own. Two more. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Well, two more, two more points before, because before we wrap it up, um, we rambled on for too long. Yeah, I know poor Max. Talk. Max is just saying, like, no, I was gonna, no, you guys, you guys have been killing it. So <laughs> I thought you were playing Scrabble. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, like t- two points on my end, and then we'll we'll go like maybe one more round, and then we'll go into some of the other stuff that um, I thought. I just want to highlight how egregious Will Wade was on the phone. Um, like he he is talking about. He literally said, like, I can pay these players more than the G League minimum. Like he like literally said that on the phone and it was so bad that Sean Miller in a separate interview that did not in separate phone call that had nothing to do um, with Will Wade outside of their competing. He literally just goes to Christian Doggins. I'll tell you, Christian, that guy has a big set of balls on him. Like that's how that's how much Will Wade was cheating. If Arizona was like, holy crap, man, those guys that that was pretty intense. I think the second thing is a lot of Arizona fans. Well, say, I, well I was about to, well. Oh, I was going to say one thing about Will. That's why I find it hilarious. So John Rothstein, who's a college basketball reporter, has all these uh, repetitive tweets after a coach wins a game. So uh, like death taxes, Bill's self, or Villanova's become a 500 fortune company. Uh, and so for L- whenever LSU wins, he has Will Wade, American gangster. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I didn't realize he did that. Uh, I, I think one one item that specifically deals with the Pac-12 is that uh, Arizona fans constantly ask, why are we the ones that are in the spotlight? Why why is it not Kansas that's in the spotlight? And it's a good question, uh, but I can answer at least part of it. It's because Bill Self isn't an asshole. Like when when, when Bill Self, like he goes out it's drinking with reporters. Like Bill People love Bill Self. Like if you listen to any of the national college basketball reporters, they will go to the bars with Bill Self. He'll shoot the breeze with them. And when you hear Sean Miller on tape 
talking about how he benched players and like he's dropping like and I'm sure Bill self cusses like a sailor too. Um, but just the vindictiveness of Sean Miller talking about his own players on his own program, basically telling players that didn't buy in to get the hell out of the program and like, you know, take their trainer with them. I mean, it's really bad. And Miller has never been close with the media. He has been a jerk to the media. Um, and as this FBI scandals happen, you can see that inner whatever is happening behind the scenes come out like Miller wasn't always that aggressive and screaming his head off and, and like he used to be a lot more composed and that changed when the FBI investigation happened um, obviously Kansas had like Kansas had the, the most hardcore evidence um, probably Kansas and LSU uh, but I mean the other like obviously Arizona had almost mo- the majority of the tape is <laughs> like Booker Richardson talking about um, cheating now whether or not he's telling the truth or not is, is di- like you know people are I think I think he was but um, a lot of Arizona fans don't think that he was um, so that was out there too but I do think that a lot of it had to deal with with you know a, Miller not being really a, a super personable guy and not going and, and being a leader, which is what you have to do is shake hands and kiss babies as the coach uh, that's getting paid $2.5 million. And Bill Self was willing to do that. And Sean Miller wasn't. And I think that to some extent, whether it's fair or not, that's the situation that he's in. Um, so I want to highlight that. And Rob, I know I, I cut you off. You're going to make one more point, but I wanted to, to make sure to throw those out there because I just see that a lot um, when, when people are talking about Arizona being under the spotlight. Um, obviously, the ESPN uh, um, story, which, like you mentioned, was never confirmed. And frankly, I actually don't think that it happened that way. Um, and, you know, Schlabach was never allowed to tweet for like a year, basically. There's probably a yeah. reason for that. Um, so, like, I think that really hampered Arizona. But a lot of the other stuff, like the evidence is still out there. And Miller just never paid his dues with the with the media. And I think that mattered. Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, I, I think there is tremendous pressure from coaches far down the food chain in college basketball. Like um, I don't know that you have a lot of this pressure from like a lot of power five coaches or, you know, like you could probably include a lot of big East schools in there, but there's a lot of pressure from the majority of the NCAA membership um, for division one to, to do something um, against this. So like, I, I don't, I don't think that Arizona and Kansas are going to get off scot-free I think you can, if you're a fan of one of those programs, you can legitimately complain that you're being made an example of, um, but it's coming. But I also don't think like, I don't think this is over. Like um, Avenetti, like the the one name that he likes to dangle out there is Duke. <laughs> so um, I think there's, there's definitely more evidence to be, to be had on this down the road. Now I, I have no earthly idea when, like I have said so many other things in my mind. I don't even know when Avenetti is going to trial anymore. So, or or if they're like if that's also on hold um I mean, so he yeah called, we'll catch up on that he literally called nike and this has been reported after he got all that information and said i will release all of this the day that your quarter quarterly report and like releases and i will sink yeah. your stock by like i will cost you millions yeah. of I mean, it was crazy what he was doing like it was just so blatantly terrible um but i, I frankly think that he does have some of the goods there like and like you mentioned oh the stuff that he said he has is good like if he's actually got that like people are toast right like but the what's interesting about this is that the um, and one of the things that he's even said about it is it's, it really just shows that the federal government wasn't all that interested. They're, they're not interested in prosecuting Nike um, in the way that they went after Adidas. And you that uh, 
the, I mean, it's interesting to think about, uh, you know, Nike is an American company. Adidas is not. Um, but I, I can't think of any other reason why Nike seems to have like gotten away so scot-free in this, even though like there are so many people that they got like a federal prosecutor could have said, yeah, like uh, we'll cut you a deal. Like just tell us all about Nike and your head coach. And that never happened. Yeah. Yeah. The president read shoe dog. That was the reason why. Uh, but <laughs> all right. Matt. It's just so weird. It was just the most bizarre. And it's funny because we covered it for so long and assuming that things would tighten up a little bit more than they did. And they just never did. I mean, like there's so much stuff out there and like, and, and anyway, like if you want to, if you really want the goods, like we, we probably recorded six to eight hours on this stuff, like on wildcat radio, you can find it on this stuff. And I, and I think it's all fascinating. So uh, Max last word, anything else on uh, the scheme, the FBI investigations, anything in that front? Well, I, I guess, well, Rob brought this up, but I, I just can't believe how unfair it is, but I mean, I, I, I I mean, I understand why it happened that all these assistant coaches had their lives ruined, and yet yeah. these head coaches got off scot free for now. Yeah, and I, I would just, I would add all these all, yeah. like mostly black assistant coaches and and white head coaches, yeah. um, yeah. just walking around still making millions. So um, yeah, that, that I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, all right, let's get into ranking the Pac-12 offensive coordinators and uh, and other tomfoolery right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back, and we've been going through all of the offensive skill positions and ranking each team as we move into the 2020 season. We're going to do offensive coordinators this week, and we've talked a decent amount about individual coordinators, but wanted to um, kind of tie a nice bow around uh, which each what each team has. And we're going to approach this a little bit different than we did the last uh, couple uh, rankings and, and podcast episodes where we're going to rank the current offensive coordinators. We're going to rank the newly hired offensive coordinators. And with each one, I want to go and talk about where they would rank in between the, the current coordinators, if that makes sense. So like a good example would be like Bill Musgrave at Cal. W where does he place, you know, where does he rank among the new newly hired coordinators and where would, where would we put him in theory among the people that are already have a track record in the Pac-12. So, uh, Max, since Rob and I basically drove away on a romantic like roundabout and talking about the FBI investigation, uh, let, let's have you open here on um, who do you think the – let's talk about the current coordinators first. Who's number one and who's number two and why? All right. I'm going to go Graham Harrell one and Andy Ludwig two. Uh, Harold, admittedly, much more talent to work with than uh, Andy. And I mean, Ludwig's done amazing jobs at, at well at Utah and Vanderbilt, and it just like with the level of explosiveness uh, these offenses have had, uh, has been really impressive. But with Harold, just the complete revitalization of USC's offense. I mean, during the Team Martin years, it, it was so disappointing. But with Harold's air raid. USC, their passing attack exploded. And granted, their running game, definitely inconsistent, uh, which was a bit disappointing given the talent they have at running back. 
but overall, uh, still an explosive offense. And you could tell that Harrell's the next big thing, uh, just based off of the NFL interest that he had this offseason with the Eagles knocking on his door. So uh, that's that's who I would go for uh, at the top two. Hey, real quick question about you, and I'm glad you brought up T. Martin because what the hell was that? Like, what, <laughs> that that just was such a disaster, and um, it looked like USC could have brought on any number of offensive coordinators. Why did they stick with T. Martin? Um, and I think he was only there for a year or two. Maybe it was just a year. But why did he get the promotion when there's so much at stake for USC football? So Martin was the offensive coordinator for three years, actually. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. and, he, and he was kept on uh, one. So he started off as the wide receivers coach. And he he's done a great job developing wide receivers. I mean, with you, Robert Woods. Uh, Marquise Lee, Nelson Aguilar, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Like it was definitely a long line of USC wide receivers. And also, Martin was USC's best recruiter, and so they felt that if they demoted Martin, uh, that he probably he likely wouldn't return, and they would lose all that uh, recruiting ammo. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. And it was a murderer's row of wide receivers on that front. I, I don't think it, it was the right decision, but it makes sense why. I guess. What, the situation that they were trying to preserve there, but my goodness, um, Rob, do you have any qualms with, uh, so I should, I should actually talk about the current, um, offensive coordinators that we have to work with. So it'd be Graham Harrell at USC, Oregon state's Brian Lundgren. And I would say Lundgren slash Jonathan Smith, um, Utah's Andy Ludwig, Arizona's Noel Mazzoni, uh, Stanford's Tavita Pritchard slash David Shaw, um, and Colorado's Darren Chivarini. So, by the way, woof. Oh, and like, and, and 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 Justin Fry as well. This is his second. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um. Yeah. Add him. Add him to the pile. Um. Any uh, any qualms here with with Harold and Ludwig? That makes sense to me, Rob. Uh, I so I would swap out uh, Lindgren and Smith at two. Um. I mean, I, I think Ludwig had uh, some. I mean. If, what he was able to do with an offensive line that was that bad this year and what he was able to do at Vanderbilt, uh, his, you know, his work that he put in at Wisconsin, um, it was all really good. Um, and I, I, I think he, he really helped Utah, you know, make last year count with all that returning production they had. Um, and he, he often found ways to, to, to work around the limitations of the line. Um, but he also had games where he, you know, I mean that the Pac-12 championship and that bowl game, like those were those were not his best <laughs> games at all. Mm-hmm. Where he really he he could not game plan around uh, the limitations of that line. Um, but I think that um, I still think that even with the Utah's, you know, really the struggles that their offensive line had, I think or, like what Oregon State has done um, with the personnel that they have is is just phenomenal on the offensive side of the ball. So I I'd give it to Smith and Lindgren second. But yeah. it's I would have I would have I would have Ludwig third right now. So yeah, you talk about limitations on the offensive line, like just going through Oregon State's line and it, it like it wasn't a terrible disaster like on paper coming in. But, you know, it was still limited. And what they were able to do in terms of like moving the ball down the field was was pretty exciting. And, and just to inject some life into that <laughs> offense. And uh, and I'm, I'm so glad they picked Luton over Pritchard or uh, um, whoever the. We always just dump on him, uh, the Nebraska transfer. But um, I mean, like, yeah, I think anybody would have would have done that. So I don't want to give too much credit for making that decision. Um, after that, I think there is a significant downgrade 
Um, but Rob, I want to hear your thoughts on Noel Mazzoni because um, certainly was a mess last year with what happened with Khalil Tate. I think a lot of that is on Khalil Tate, but some of it has to be on Mazzoni and not planning around what he was able to have. You know, like you play with the, the hand that you're, you're dealt basically in cards and it didn't seem like they did that. They were just particularly the first couple games. You're just like, what? What on earth is is going on here? And, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I was just incredibly frustrated with uh, what was able to happen at Arizona. But then you, you put in the freshman quarterback, Grant Gannell, and he was able to move the ball. And you can kind of see the Mazzoni offense. You're like, oh, I, I, that's what it's supposed to look like. Um, but I got to give him negative points for not being able to adjust with Tate um, it, with full knowledge that Tate was just a mess last year. You know, Mazzoni, he's interesting because he hasn't had, he didn't have a great offense at, at Texas Tech, even though he had some really good personnel. Um, he did not have, uh, and he certainly hasn't in Arizona, but he's had some great offenses in his past. Oh, so you um, meant A&M, right? Yeah, sorry, A&M. And he was good. I mean, he, he, he had some very good offenses at UCLA, um, but he was not able to adjust for Tate. I mean, Mazzoni's offense, if you look at it, like the backs are going out. They're not staying in the block um, to try to buy the quarterback more time. The backs are going out and running routes. I mean, it's critical in the Mazzoni offense that you're able to get the ball out um, and that you're able to to make your reads, make quick decisions. Um, you know, like I, I would say, for example, like, I mean, like uh, um, LSU this year, like because Joe Burrow was so good at making reads and getting the ball out, like they were in zero protection a lot um, with the backs going out and running around. So like, I, I like it's 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 going to be something where I think Gunnell is going to be a this could be a very different offense next year. Um, but I also would say like people overstate how good that Arizona team was from 17 because it was just all Khalil Tate running and then being able to take deep shots um, keyed off the run game. Um, you know that and the the Arizona still in 17 was good at running outside uh you know and running outside zone and they've been good at running outside zone under Mazzoni for the most part but i mean they really um this this Arizona team was was not terribly talented and i think that people had to sort of had the expectation that they were going to be a lot better um than they were and it you know i don't know Khalil Tate got injured and then like we also saw i mean Khalil Tate wouldn't run when he was when they would call zone read yeah. and the, the and the right read was for him to run it. So I don't like like do you wrong like Noel Mazzoni is not the guy I would have hired, but I don't I I have not understood the like the calls from Mazzoni's head because I still think that Arizona for the most part is one of the like there there's a, there's a talent gap to be had there's there's you know there's a coaching gap I think still to be had so like he's okay. Yeah, there, there, there's that, <laughs> film, and it's so many examples of it where it's he's he's raised the zone read, and you see the defensive end break for for the handoff, and and Tate still hands it off, um, and Tate doesn't break where where he has ten fifteen yards on the yeah. left side, and, and he's healthy, and that was where. I mean, we kind of saw that, and like you and I were certainly not as bullish on Tate as I think a lot of um, Arizona fans were, or at least certain certain people that were covering Arizona football. Um, or or um, Max's former employer was a lot of people at Sports Illustrated. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll throw some darts. We'll throw some darts. Um, <laughs> no. But 
so like it, it was so I at some at some point you put that on tape because like obviously it was the right call uh, play call and there was an open situation and he wasn't making the right decisions. But Max, you've seen Noel Mazzoni at UCLA. You've seen him now at Arizona. You've had a lot of you had a lot of Noel in your life. What's your general impressions of him as a as a coordinator and um, is putting him significantly below um, Harrell and Lundgren uh, fair? Um, and how, and I think the other question is how much better is he than like David Shaw's offense and Darren Schiavarini? Well, so I guess it's interesting for me, for me because I think Rob's higher than me on Oregon state because I love what Lindgren and Smith have done, but Oregon state was also really like their offense when they faced a good defense, like really massively struggled. And then in other games, they were incredibly, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, like the Hawaii and the Stanford games, they went entire halves without scoring against two subpar defenses. And then against good defense, like Utah, Oregon, Washington, they were completely shut down. So I, I, I do like what the two have done, but I, I can't put them, uh, I, I can't put them in the top two for me. But I, I third, I, I think third is fair. Uh, Mazzoni, I, I mean, he's had. He's had some good offenses. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he does with Gannell, uh, just because, uh, I mean, obviously UCLA, he had Rosen. And I think that going back to Gannell and having that pocket passer uh, running the show for his offense, I, I think that that, that could uh, lead to some improvement there in Tucson. I, it was funny when I said that. I, mean, I, I have said, like, I'll pick up. I'll pick up. I think Stanford's offense is like, I don't, I, I think that they're, fundamentally have to work around the fact that they are not good at run blocking since Bloomgren went to rice. But the fact that they were able to switch to basically run a pass first offense under Pritchard, like I've been surprised at how good they've been a lot of the time. I think that's fair. I I was trying to figure out how close they were. Like Shiverini is, is just by far, like I'd put him, he's my 12. Yeah. Oh yeah. I put him behind everybody that just got hired too. And and and, as, well, and you guys are putting Pritchard and Shaw and Mazzoni above Chip Kelly and Justin yes. Fry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anybody that thinks that Chip Kelly has done like chip like you could argue that like i the reason i like smith and lindgren is that they do more with less like chip kelly does less with more than a lot of coaches in the pack 12 <laughs> so so let, let's talk about ucla for a second because i would put them i would put fry above chivarini i would certainly put them below david shaw and uh, tavita pritchard but what's the best case scenario for that offense that you can paint for us, Max? Like, let's say, let's say UCLA wins seven games next year. What did they do in that offense that changed? And, and like, I just, I just don't see it. I, I'm, I'm curious, like we're going to have a conversation with um, some other friends about like UCLA and stuff. And I, I, we're on opposite sides. I just don't, I don't see any scenario where they make a ginormous pu- like push on the offensive front. Well, I mean, I, I just think that the the turnovers are, are really the, the first step, like getting rid of the dumb turnovers, uh, because those are drive killers. And then with DTR, oftentimes they go for like defensive touchdowns and that that's a killer. But 
Yeah, and then and then also, I mean, the the offensive line uh, has had issues, but it, I I just really think it mostly just comes down to DTR and his erratic play. But I will I will say this for UCLA, their non conference schedule each of the past two seasons has been brutal. Yeah. Um, and so this time around, uh, instead of playing like Oklahoma or Fresno State or Cincinnati, they get New Mexico State. Hawaii and San Diego State, and with that, that's with Rocky Long uh, now off to New Mexico, which was definitely one of the more interesting off off season uh, transitions. Uh, so, and and great, it is at San Diego State, but in, but UCLA they went zero and three in non conference each of the past two seasons, and that definitely put the Bruins uh, off to a tough start. But this schedule, you would hope that they go minimum two and one, and the difference between two and one and zero and three, especially because they've won like three and four games. Like they, they could, I think that they could win six games this year. And they also don't have to play Oregon or Washington uh, for Pac-12 schedule. So like schedule wise, they definitely line up for improvement. Yeah. I just, you know, they're, I think it was their left tackle goes to Oklahoma. I think they lost another uh, offensive lineman on that front. It's just, and the recruiting isn't there. It, it's just, and I hear you like, and I agree that a lighter schedule and like a down Pac-12 South. Like there's a scenario where they could do better. Um, but it's like the, I guess the question is what are expectations for hiring Chip Kelly? Are they six games or are they winning eight to nine to 10 games? Which is what I think most UCLA fans would probably have uh, had answered before he uh, just crapped the bed the last couple of years. Um, but it'll just be interesting to see the talent gap, particularly in the trenches with UCLA. I just, it'll be really difficult uh, for me to, to envision a more humming offense that or I mean, maybe the offensive improves and maybe they put in Colson, Colson Yankoff and uh, rather than the DTR and they cut down on the turnovers. But man, I just, I think the ceiling for that offense is incredibly low and there's nothing that Fry's done that makes me um, <laughs> really optimistic. I don't know. Does that, does that make sense, uh, Max? I mean, I, I still think that Fry, like, I don't think that we should be, um, putting down Fry that much because he's merely a figurehead at offense. Like sure. it's still, it's still all Chip Kelly. Well, it's always good to have us have that punching bag, you know, <laughs> take over the team. I saw, I saw these guys in person last year. I mean, they stink on offense. I mean, if they wouldn't have had like two or three big plays against Cincinnati, they had nothing offensively against, I mean, Cincinnati's got a good defense, but they just had nothing. There was no, there was no imagination. There was no solid play calling. It was junk. And you can, the only thing that kept him in the game was that Cincinnati was just committed to running the football, even though UCLA struggled to, to, uh, to, to do anything but stop the run up the middle. Yeah, like it was like one thing that, they could and, that and, and, and Cincinnati's offensive line committed so many penalties. Oh, so bad. I mean, like, it, like the game, everybody in the stands was just like, like, why isn't this game put away? Because there was UCLA was showing. No signs of life beyond a couple of big plays, um, and that's my real. I mean, if there's a there's a concern, it's that I just I don't see progression there. I mean, I thought I've I've tried to remember like if Theo Howard said it or if somebody else said it about him of his transfer to Oklahoma that he finally got to play in a modern offense, um, which is a pretty biting thing to say about Jim Kelly. But <laughs> Lincoln Riley is definitely the master now. Um, yeah, I just I don't 
there's there's not much to 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 look at that gives you much uh faith there i mean like the 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 player defections the lack of recruiting but schematically and play calling wise like they haven't been all that effective i mean they were they had, they had spots where they managed to look competent like um their schedule seems to let up a little bit down the stretch every like the last couple of years and everybody's like oh my gosh ucla ha 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 and you're like wait a minute <laughs> like they're just playing bad teams guys like come on um and that like i i guess like there's when you when you do get to see them against bad teams like yeah some of it works like you know they they figured out wilton spite to caleb wilson you know that you know at 18 but i just i don't buy it like i don't i don't think that they're going to take much of a jump forward um you know like maybe they bench dtr and yankoff gets to play and that helps but ugh. So for the most part, we have Harrell at one, um, tier two, Oregon State, uh, you know, Brian Lundgren, Jonathan Smith, Andy Ludwig, you know, in, in that general tier, Noel Mazzoni, and then Pritchard, David Shaw, Justin Fry, and then Darren Chiaverini. Is that about that? Fair? We're doing, we're doing, wait, you have Mazzoni in an entire tier above Pritchard and Shaw? Well, I was Yeah, saying- I wouldn't have above Pritchard and Shaw. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. No, I was just trying to, for the the good of the order, put them down into. Uh, <laughs> so would they be? They'd be like the third tier, and then another significant drop between uh, Chiverini and Fry slash Chip Kelly. Uh, I'd put Fry and Kim Kelly uh, a tier above Chiverini. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. T- I'm there too, just because that that Chiverini year where he was the OC was. It, it started out so well, and then it was so bad, so bad. They do have a passing coordinator, I think. This, I, I want to go back and look at that with uh, Colorado. So I think, I think uh, even Carl Durrell was like, "Nope, like we're gonna put some handcuffs on this if this is gonna work." So, uh, be interesting to see. I'll, I'll report on that a little bit later. Let's go into the new offensive coordinator. So we have um, Brian Smith slash Nick Rolovich at Washington State. We have Zach Hill, the former Boise State offensive coordinator who is now at ASU. We have Josh Donovan, LOL, and we have Bill Musgrave from the NFL. Um, in addition to Josh Donovan and Joe Moorhead, um, I'm assuming Rob, let's start with you. Joe Moorhead is, uh, like for me is above and away, like the, the best hire, the best new offensive coordinator in the conference. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, hands down, right. There's nobody that, I mean, this was the best hire that anybody went out and made, uh, in the conference. Um, he had some decent, um, he had some decent talent uh, and and did okay at Mississippi State. That that really good that his first year that was a truly great defense that Mississippi State had, um, and that drove a lot of their success. But he didn't. Uh, I I also wouldn't say like he didn't in, inherit you know like the like a a great amount of talent to take on SEC foes um, there. And he also may not have been cut out for being a, a head coach. He may have been better cut as an NOC. But he definitely like he had some great great offenses uh at penn state um and oregon oregon getting him um was it was a big win for them like I, i'm excited to see him and his he, he is very good at, at tailoring uh his offense to what he's got max after year one of uh, a full year in the oregon offense where do you think we will rank joe moorhead at the end of this season um in between the uh, current offensive coordinators we've already ranked first Now, I don't like I don't think Oregon's offense will be like 
Oregon doesn't have the talent that USC has on offense, and I think that that definitely uh, is advantage Harrell. But I think that Moorhead is gonna, it, or I just think Oregon's offense, like in the beginning, I think there's gonna be some uh, adjustments and some rough patches. But I think by the end, it's gonna be humming, and it's gonna be with a lot less talent than what USC has overall. And I think that they're gonna be comparable in terms of points per game and explosiveness. Okay. Who do you got here at number two? And it's a little difficult with Donovan and Musgrave, particularly Musgrave, because I don't think he really has. I'd have to go back and look, but I don't recall him having like a, um, a like a long history of offensive, uh, you know, production in like the last couple of years in uh, in college football. So it'll be it's and it's kind of difficult to drag somebody's numbers from like two thousand and you know six and bring it into the modern era here. But I'm curious who you have second on the list. I, uh, it's like for me, it's between Smith and Rolovich and Musgrave. I'm pretty interested though in Musgrave. I'm not gonna lie because I I think, um, at at, at I guess in the beginning stages of, of his coaching career, uh, or I should say after he was a member of Chip Kelly's offensive staff with the Eagles, which is kind of ironic to say now, uh, his his uh his job as offensive coordinator, I think is vastly improved because with the Raiders, uh, he was the offensive coordinator there when Derek Carr had his, uh, I want to say MVP contender season before uh, he suffered a season ending injury. And then uh, with the Broncos, the Broncos offense under him was also pretty solid too. So I think the upgrade uh, from Bo Baldwin to Musgrave is actually going to be pretty big. And that's a reason why I'm high on Cal. Uh, I think I think I'm going to go, though, Rolovich, uh, a Smith second, though, just because that they have uh, the recent college coaching experience. And, and especially because with Hawaii, they faced um, so many of these Pac-12 programs in recent seasons. So I think that that could also have an advantage there, too. Yeah. And Rob, unlike the defensive coordinator at Washington State, Brian Smith came over with Rolovich from Hawaii. So when you thought of when you think of the run and shoot and just the the adaptions that they made uh, to fit the scheme or to fit, I'm sorry, changing the scheme to fit the players that they had at Hawaii. Brian Smith certainly had a hand in that, although Rolovich certainly had his fingerprints everywhere. Would you put them second or would you put Musgrave or who, who would you put second here? I had the same debate Max did, um, but I'm, I'm actually with him. 100%. I'll take Smith and, and roll, uh, you know, Smith and uh, above Musgrave. Like, I just, I, I, I've seen them. I've seen that offense be dynamic at the college level. Um, you know, I think Musgrave, from what I've read and what I've looked at, like, I think he'll be good. Um, it'll just be, I, I'm interested to see him do it <laughs> first. At the end of the year, where do they rank among the current offensive coordinators? Like, would you put him under Ludwig? Um, above Ludwig, above Jonathan Smith. I'd have them. I'd have Smith at five and Musgrave at six. Is my expectation. Um, I'd have Musgrave ahead of Tavita Pritchard uh, and Mazzoni. So let, let's check both of them off and go down to Zach Hill and Josh Donovan and Max. I I think I know where you're going with this one, but I'm uncertain. Who who would you put? Who would you rank higher there? Uh, Zach Hill, and I, I don't even think it's close. That's just how disappointing Donovan Hire was. And they, and Washington could have gotten an incredible hire, and they and they re- resorted to Donovan. Like, I just, ugh, what an awful, like, Oregon and Washington, 
like I would say it, before the the Moorhead and Donovan hires, like not like I still would have taken Oregon overall as a team just because I mean I, I think that both defenses are elite, but I would give Oregon the advantage there. I think Oregon's skill position talent is greater, but the the difference in in hire between Moorhead and Donovan that I think is that's worth so much to me. And now I see these teams as different tiers, honestly, um, in the Pac-12. That's insane. Like I, I, I did, like I think I think Oregon is is now the clear Pac-12 uh, North favorite, and Washington, I, I for me is competing with Cal. I forget who was saying somebody on the podcast is either us or maybe it was Hippleday was talking about like basically uh, Penn State brought in Joe Moorhead to clean up what Josh Donovan did at Penn State so like that so I can see yeah. where you're coming from there Max in regards to uh, like just the the sheer difference in um, in potential from their offensive coordinators there so where where would Zach Hill f- finish at the end of the year um, if. And I'm curious, actually, Rob, I don't know if you have Zach Hill's numbers to kind of um, pull the fast one on you here, but how was Boise State's numbers the last couple of years when he was the coordinator there? They're okay. I mean, so like he graded out at like 32 and 17, 29 and 18, 41 and 19. Um, I mean, that's decent. They're not, they're not great. Um, you know, and I say that because like, like for a power for, for a group of five offense, like you can like a great group of five offense is like a Memphis offense or a UCF offense. Right. Um, so it's it's good. Um, you know, you expect you expect him to be more competent. Um, but I didn't. One of the things about Boise State, like I, I didn't love the way they played when they stepped up in competition, like in, and they often got shut down when they when they played tougher defenses um, and struggled. And particularly these last two years when they have played some of the better defenses that they faced, like he is they've not played particularly well on offense like against Washington, against Wyoming, against Fresno State when Fresno State had a good defense and against Nevada when, you know, like it's just it wasn't there. Um, I don't I don't like. I, I'm not high. I, I think he'll be an improvement over what Rob Likens is doing, but that's a really low bar for me. Um, I would put, I would put Josh Donovan just ahead of Zach Hill, um, but it's not much. I mean, they're grouped right together, I guess, in my head. I just, well, with Zach, well, I was gonna say with Zach Hill for me, and I'm with like that Vegas Bowl last season, Washington Boise State, like Boise's offense couldn't do anything. Yeah. And that was, and that was with uh, Hank Bach- Bachmeyer because admittedly, like during the season last year, uh, he missed some games because he wasn't healthy. And he um, against Florida State had that incredible half in that comeback, but he was, but he had some games where he was injured. But uh, I don't, I just, I, I, I just have no faith in Donovan. So, but he'll, yeah, he'll. But what do you? I, I'm just trying to like. I, I just feel like the ceiling for Arizona State's offensive coordinator higher might not have been as high. But granted, I mean, with all the NFL experience that Herm Edwards gotten, maybe he could have gotten someone, uh, not necessarily someone in his prime, maybe a little like over over the hill, but still like a bigger name with like NFL experience. Like, like his defensive coordinator? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just like Jimmy Lake – Jimmy Lake's hire was quixotic, right? Like that was, it was just so far out in left field. I mean, and then to hire the guy that uh, basically got fired and then someone hired Joe Moorhead and Oregon had not hired Joe Moorhead yet. 
Like, so Joe Moorhead was like still on the market. Um, it was a strange hire. Like Zach Hill, like he just, for me, he just checks a box. Like I, I expect him to be decent. Like I, I think they'll be fine. Um, but it's, it, it was, it was not a hire where I thought like, Oh, like he's a guy that you clearly have to go get. It's like, Oh, uh, we need somebody. Let's hire Boise state's coordinator. <laughs> At the end of the year, Max, do you think Hill is above or below uh, Pritchard and David Shaw at Stanford? Below. Above or below uh, Noel Mazzoni? I, like, I would put, put Hill and Donovan both below that tier. Like I have, I have Pritchard, Shaw, and Mazzoni on the same tier. Man. And Hill runs a complicated offense. You know, like he runs that Chip Peterson type of, or that uh, not Chip Peterson, but Chris Peterson type of. How dare you like, besmirch the name of, of Chris Peterson <laughs> and comparing him to Chip Kelly? Kelly and Chip. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's I think it's going to have they're uh, they're going to have a bit of a learning curve um, with the QB situation that they have there and his accuracy issues. Like I, I think it's going to be interesting to see that offense with uh, with what they got. All right, we have one more segment, which I think is going to be really fun, and we'll cover it right after this. All right, we're back, and SiriusXM did a fun thing where they um, had you put together a fantasy team using $20. And, um, and Max, l- let me throw it to you because you brought this up, and I thought it was, it was a really fun idea, and you just described it to us off air. <laughs> Can you just do that again so, so I don't bumble it? Uh, what, what are the rules? What yeah, are the parameters so- here? So you have a salary cap of $22 and there are Pac-12 players listed uh, from prices from $5 all the way down to $1. And you basically have to assemble your perfect Pac-12 offense, Uh, but it has to be within $22. Okay. And uh, I'm going to go through the the dollar amounts here at $5. You have Jaden Daniels, Keaton Slovis, CJ Verdell, Tyler Vons, Micah Pittman, uh, Brant Cuthy and the Oregon offensive line. $4, you have Davis Mills, JT Daniels, Max Borgi. And by the way, like you can bring this up if you just look it up. In fact, Max Brown, um, who's who's our friend, has been on the podcast a couple of times. If you look up him, him up on Twitter, he he has like the screenshot of this. Um, so $4 again um, after Max Borgi. It's Katie Nixon, Johnny Johnson, Spencer Webb, and the Washington offensive line. $3, DTR, uh, Chase Garbers, Veve Malapai. Amon Ross St. Brown, Britton Covey, Scooty, Scooter Harrington, and the Oregon offensive line. At $2, Tyler Oregon State. Oregon State, thank you. Thank you. Uh, $2, Tyler Shuck, Jake Bentley, Jamar Jefferson, Kyle Phillips, Dimitri uh, uh, Felton, Jordan Wilson, and the Cal offensive line. And then a dollar, Tristan Jebbia, Jacob Suriman, um, Chris, Chris Brown Jr., Chad Johnson Jr., Chase Coda, Cam McCormick, and the Stanford offensive line. And I think I only mispronounced one of those, so that was pretty darn good. I'm going to give myself a pat on the bat. All right, Max, what, what's your team here? What do you got? All right, so I had I had three auto plays on here. Uh, one was Keaton Slovis for $5. I feel like if you take any other quarterback, that's a mistake there. Uh, the most mispriced person on this was Amon Ross St. Brown at $3. I would take him over every single other wide receiver above him, uh, even Tyler Vons, honestly, uh, who's a who, fellow USC teammate and at $5. And Max Borgie at $4 just because he's my favorite running back in the conference. So I went, my team was uh, Slovis, and then my running back was Jamar Jefferson, and my flex, which is a running back slash wide receiver slash tight end, uh, I had Borgie in there as well. 
Uh, my two wide receivers were Amon Ross St. Brown at three. Oh, and by the way, uh, Jamar Jefferson was $2 and Borgie was four. Uh, St. Brown for three and then Demetric Felton for two. And then I took uh, Cam McCormick for a dollar and the Oregon offensive line for $5. Cam McCormick being the Oregon tight end. Ooh, that's a sleazy call. Oregon actually throws at their tight end. They've had some some pretty good ones. Any differences on your team there, Rob? I mean, I have Slovis, Jefferson. I have Tyler Vaughns, St. Brown. I have Felton. Uh, I took the Stanford tight end for three bucks. Uh, and then I got the Stanford offensive line. I mean, there's not Oregon State loses. Like I went through this, I was like, Oregon State's losing almost everyone on their offensive line. I like their offensive line coach, but I mean, same goes for Washington and Oregon. Um, I didn't love Cal's offensive line, so Stanford, you know, you got a bunch of four stars. They can't run block, but they can pass block. I the biggest difference I had was Brent Cuthy, and and I know I'm probably paying up for him, but. When you have a when you have a new quarterback, you can't you can't say you can't say no. Brian can't say no to tight ends. He just can't. He was the top pass catcher, I think, at at, uh, Utah last year. Um, New quarterback, so I think he's going to be that security blanket. He's a known pass catcher. He's going to be on the field. And Andy Ludwig is is a man after my own heart. Well, he would he would play four tight ends, Rob, if he really could. Uh, They would be out there. So I just think he's going to get the ball a lot and um, and willing to pay up and like sacrifice um, a little bit on the back end for that. But one of the numbers here was Chris Chris Brown Jr. Um, at a dollar. I, I thought that was that was a really interesting uh, pickup there on that front, uh, possibly as a flex because um, man, if if like he he had a really good year last year and I think um, n- new offensive coordinator, um, I think there's going to be some some momentum there on Cal. So I thought that was pretty interesting too. Um, send us your picks. Like I'll actually tweet this out at, um, at 12 pack radio and would love to hear what your teams are. Um, and hey, guys, I also, I want to, I want to create one for my own because these rankings were awful and I would include offensive coordinator on there too. Ooh, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Um, and that would make it a lot more fun. Max, Max, send that, send that out to us. We'll, we'll share it. And then let's cover it again next week and see what other people's teams are, because I'm always curious to see who the homers are and, and who the, the ones that are, I promise we won't, we won't, we won't judge you behind the scenes, but like maybe a little bit. I'm sorry, but like, if, even if you like your own quarterback, like anyone other than Slovis is the wrong answer. Like, uh, Max, uh, not that you, Max, I'm forgetting his last name now. Max, why? Max Brown, he picked JT Daniels. I'm like, what? What? No, that's the that is the wrong answer. That's like when I picked uh, Gage Gabrud the day before they made the announcement in your fantasy league, Max. <laughs> that was so pissed. Oh man, that was <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll definitely send that out. That'll be fun to discuss uh, next week. Um, anything else for the good of the order, guys? All yeah, right, stay safe. Yeah, stay safe. Exactly. Um, all right, guys, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Uh, stay tuned. We'll continue to pump these out weekly and appreciate you guys listening. Make sure to share it if you can um, and uh, bring some joy to some other people as we continue to work through this. Uh, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you soon.